Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Well, if you have your Bible, I welcome you to open up to Joshua 1. We're taking a little bit of a break, a one-week break from our series called Moving Mountains. And several months ago, the Lord laid this particular message on my heart for this particular day. So I know that if you are in earshot of what I'm about to say, as we sit under the Word of God, I know God has a blessing for you. He wouldn't have laid it on my heart to give to you if it didn't have some uh, impact or difference that He's going to make. Amen? Um, Because I don't know if you know this or not, but God is good and He's at work all the time. All the time. So even when when I'm not involved, most particularly when I'm not involved, it seems like he does some of his best work. Several years ago, I actually started out doing this whenever I was in Boy Scouts here in Taylorville. Uh, We went on a couple of repelling trips. Anyone ever been repelling, by the way? Anyone? Anyone ever else face death? Thank you. Yeah, you have. Um, I remember... Starting out with rappelling, you know, you're at the top of a mountain or top of a hill or whatever it is, and then there's a series, really three different things kind of that, that help you to not die, which is always good whenever you're climbing or doing any sort of rappelling, and I learned that early on, that you anchor into a, a firm place um, up on, whether it's around a tree or whether it's in a crag of a rock with a certain type of anchor. So you anchor into something that's firm, and then there's this person that's at the bottom, and they're called the, the person who's on belay, and or the belayer, and they're the, the person actually who keeps you from dying, which is good. Uh, in typical, typical fashion, what they do is they're actually at the bottom, and they actually let out the rope that you need as you go along, as you go down the side of the the rock face, wherever it is. So they actually, you're actually clipped onto them via a rope system and a carabiner similar to this. I got this at Ace Hardware. I do not recommend that you do any rock climbing with this. Uh, so, but it's a carabiner no less. And so you're actually clipped into, if you're the one who's rappelling down, that's the same thing with rock climbing. You're actually clipped into this person via a series of ropes and also the anchor point. And the person who's on belay is the person who not only lets out the rope that you need, but they're also the person who's carefully watching what it is that you're doing. And and as you go along, they give you the slack and the rope that you need to be able to to maneuver down at a speed that you can handle. Because if they just let it go, they'll let you go. And it's a speed you can't handle. So they let it out a little bit. It was years after that that I was on the other side of that equation. I wasn't rappelling, but then I was rock climbing, doing some indoor rock climbing. And it's the same general idea. The person who's climbing now up the rock face, or this was an artificial rock face for me because it was indoor rock climbing, and there's a person on belay, and you're actually, you find anchor points along the way as you're climbing up this rock face. What's interesting about this is that you are actually clipped into someone else who's helping you to be able to climb. So you're clipped in. Not that different than fatherhood today. Fatherhood today is not a solo endeavor. You can solo climb. You can. I gave you the most basic version of rock climbing. And I'm by no means am I an expert. 
But in the standard way, it's, it requires someone to be the lead climber, someone to be there on belay, on support, and for you to be anchored into something that is strong enough to carry your weight. It's the same way with us as fathers and even just us as grandfathers. If we want to have an impact in the generations to come, we also need this represented. We need to be, A, clipped into God... But we also need to be clipped into other people because other people around us are counting on us and they're counting on the strength that God would provide. They're counting on the courage that God would provide and they're counting on us to be anchored in the truth so we can climb as way that God sees fit. I found that rock climbing is not easy and it is not for sissies. It is not. I've also found that being a dad is not for sissies also. I was reminded of something that corresponds with this, about how much fatherhood will surprise you. I was even reminded this morning, my daughter sent me a series of pictures and just the the sweetest text message early on. Um, Actually, she sent it last night knowing I would get it when I got up this morning to study and to pray for this talk. So she's really smart. She's a night owl. Me, not so much, but she's a night owl. So she sent me this message. Just beautiful message and just a series of pictures. And, and one of the, of the pictures that she sent, actually it was a couple of the pictures that she sent, was, was me wrestling with my son and then she's jumping on top of me as I'm wrestling with my son. And, and then there was another picture to where, and everybody's smiling and there's nobody crying. So that's a win, right? So moms don't get nervous. Everybody's smiling. And then there was another one where I was kind of laying down, and then my son was on top of me, and then my daughter was standing there proud, probably that, that you know, that, that I was, uh, you know, that all this was going on, and that, that Austin, my son, was winning. And it's just, that was one of the things that really surprised me about fatherhood, because by being a dad, it means that you become the punching bag for your family. I didn't realize that at the time. <laughs> it really surprised me, and I probably didn't help that. If, if Marla was here, she would be able to, to amen that. I probably didn't help it. You know, so not only that, being a dad, it also helped me to understand that just how important a white t-shirt is. Um, Because as a dad, I never wore a white t-shirt because I just didn't know what was going to be on it uh, as a baby or then after that. So never that. Also, it surprised, this surprised me. Uh, We we had uh, somebody who bought us a fish years ago. And I don't know if you have ever had a goldfish, but I just want you to know, if you buy your kid a goldfish... You, you have this amazing opportunity about talk, talking to them about the value of life in 24 to 48 hours after getting a goldfish. <laughs> it just happens. And part of this is, is what I've learned about being a dad is kids are hard to trust. They just are. I love them. I love my kids, but they're hard to trust. Anytime a toddler trusts you, good night, daddy. Like, they are the ones who are going to blow up your night. I don't even know why they say that. It's like, sure, good night. You're right. Of course, right. As if you're going to let that happen. Or your kids say, well, if you get me that, I will never ask for anything for the rest of my life. <laughs> Until they go to Walmart the next time and they see that and that and that and that and that. Or maybe they're teenagers, and I'm not condoning this behavior, or maybe they're teenagers and they say, if you just let me borrow the car, I'm just going to go to the store and ride around the square and I'm going to come back home. And it's like four hours, 200 miles, and half a tank of gas later, they're back home. <laughs> Slight exaggeration, of course. Slight. 
Fatherhood is, is not easy, and I want you to know that so much about uh, fatherhood is, is makes the dad feel overwhelmed with, with the situation that he's been given. I just want you to know that, that if you're a new dad and, and this is your first Father's Day, do we have any in the house? This is the very first Father's Day. If, if that's you, stand up. Your very first Father's Day. I know we're kind of thin today. Give it up. There we go. Hey, you know, I know that we have, uh, we have several dads in this category, but I just want you to know, Jared, you're in the house, and guys who may be listening, we got your back. We got your back. It's not easy, but we're here. And I would also just like to, to honor, do we have any grandfathers? Probably a lot more grandfathers in the room than what we did. First time dads. Grandfathers, please stand up. Grandfathers. Grandfathers, come on. Come on. There we go. Hey, Grandpa, stay standing. Stay standing. I just want you to know, we need your wisdom. And all of these other younger dads, they need your wisdom. You may not think you have much to add, but you do. You have a deepened walk with Jesus. You have seasoned years of being a dad and a grandpa. You have experiences and you have wisdom. They need your grace, and that needs to be passed on to the next generation. Thank you. You can be seated. But, but for all of you dads out there, really for everyone, but, but just a message that is geared for dads and grandpas alike, I want you to, to be wrestling with, this, with these two different questions. Who's holding the rope for you? Who's holding the rope for you? And where are you anchored? Who's holding the rope for you? Who's helping you to to climb to the place as being the dad that honors God and, and lives a life honorable to God, period, in whatever role you have? Who's holding that rope for you? And then second to that, where are you anchored along the way? There's a profound story that we find ourselves in in Joshua 1. I'm actually going to begin before that. I know I told you to go to Joshua 1. I just want to read this passage in Deuteronomy 31, verse 7 and 8. And this is, this is the instruction that Moses would receive about Joshua being the next leader of the nation of Israel. And you're going to see a recurring theme in the way that God is instructing Moses then to instruct Moses to instruct Joshua, and you're going to see in just a moment, it is the same way that God instructs Joshua after Moses is gone. This is what the passage says. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the, that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. Verse 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This will be a message on repeat that Joshua hears because he needs to hear it because the task before him is so daunting that God reminds him that you're going to need to be strong. You're going to need to be courageous. But no fear, I'm with you. No fear, he says, I'm with you. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't, don't wallow away into some sort of self-pity. God says, I'm with you. Joshua 1, reading through verse 11, first chapter, says this. 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then... You will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your very own. The mantle of leadership has passed down from Moses to Joshua. And if I were to break down these two, or excuse me, these 11 verses into two different categories, I would break it up first into this category. God encourages Joshua. He encourages Joshua. Not only every time does he say be strong and courageous is is a reminder of his encouragement, Not only is it in verse 5 where uh, the Word of God says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's so many different ways that he's being encouraged for the task at hand. He himself was, he being Joshua, was being called into a different position than what he had been before. He had been on the the, the mountain when Moses met with God. He, He had seen some of the glory of God. He had seen Moses' face glowing from being in the presence of God. He was one who was close to the presence, but yet he always had this this person who was mediating between him and God, and that was Moses. And now Moses is gone, and what Moses was passing on to him in in, in Deuteronomy 31, now is the time of fulfillment. And the people of God are now in this moment about to take the promised land. So about this promised land, maybe this might have been what Joshua would have seen. As they're standing, they're about to go from the east to the west. And as they're standing, and maybe be able to see and look all different directions to actually see the promised land and what's around it. At the base of the, the Moab mountains where they were, it was filled with colorful wildflowers that maybe grew and they were abundant in their growth. We're able to see this land that had several streams and brooks flowing through it. Acacia trees are are very common in that area. Perhaps they dotted the landscape of which they would be able to see providing shade and adding just that, that scenic beauty that comes by way of those trees. Maybe there were birds filling the air at that time. 
But if you were to look further south near the riverbanks, there, were, there would have been tall oleander bushes. Oleander, some of you already know this, is very fragrant. Perhaps if the wind was blowing in the right direction, he would have been able to catch just a little bit of that, that oleander coming in with the fragrance. The branches heavy with flowers resembling what we would see maybe around here as being a drooping willow tree. That place is known as Ebel Shatim, which is referred to as the meadow of the acacias. The meadow of acacias. Just beyond lies the Jordan River with its shallow crossings. And they're about to cross the Jordan River to take the promised land. And with it would have been the elevated hills to the west. In the southern distance, we look to the north, but now we look to the south. They would have been able to see the Judean hills. Known from that area of just having a, a soft purple glow amongst the, the range and hills. The area that they were in was more tropical than where they would, they would be, and the vegetation where they is actually thriving more than what they would expect on the west side. But this is a somewhat of a panoramic view as to what God would have brought Joshua to see and the land that they were to take, while also reminding them of the task at hand. There were people who occupied that land. This wasn't a land that they would be able to just walk into. They would have to take that land from those who were not of God, and God would provide everything needed along the way. There are several different ways that God encourages Joshua. I'm going to break down several of them. First way that that God is assuring Joshua is in this, that the plan to conquer Canaan has not been altered by the death of Moses. This is simply the same message that was given to Moses is now continuing. There's no altering of the plan. This had to have encouraged Joshua because Joshua would have heard this plan. So now it's not from scratch, throw that away, and here's a new plan. It's the same plan that God has enacted. Another bit of encouragement here, God reassures Joshua that he's actually about to give them the land. That now is the time that he's about to give them the land. That there's no more wandering to the east. There's no more meandering in the desert. They're finally going to go from east to west into the, into the side of the setting sun. And they're actually going to be able to take the land finally. He had to have been encouraged by this. There's a shift in the language about the next two bits of encouragement. The shift is from the singular, meaning just to Joshua, to the plural, which means uh, the people who would hear it. The the Lord declared that He had already given every place within that territory where they would have faith to step their feet. That the Lord had already given them the place. They simply had to walk in the grace and the space that God had already given them. The fourth bit of encouragement is this. God allows them to see a verbal sketch of the land with the broad contours of the territory that God intended to give Israel. The sketch would be the wilderness uh, to the Lebanon mountains to the, and Euphrates River to the north and the territory that occupied all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, also known as the Great Sea, when it's referred to in the Bible. The fifth bit of encouragement is this. God reassures Joshua, now instead of going from the plural, now it's to the singular, 
talking just to Joshua, this, plural, uh, this singular pronoun, it reverts back to him. And he says that anyone who would try to defend the land would not be able to stand, up, would not be able to stand before him. So now this is to bolster Joshua's courage, his strength, and his leadership for the task at hand. And the last bit of encouragement you see is the Lord repeats what Joshua had already been told, or what, what Moses had already been told about Joshua and to Joshua, that he could count on God's faithfulness for the task at hand. I've always been fascinated by Joshua's life because to me, this, he, he's such just a, an incredible person within the biblical narrative. He himself for 90 years was simply preparing for this moment. 90 years. He was 90 years old in this moment. In his first 90 years of preparation, he began as a slave in Egypt, just like Moses did, and then progressed into being a servant under Moses. And if you know of and the particular passage in Numbers 13 and 14, you know that then he was also a spy. And if you were to read the rest of Joshua, which I would recommend that you do, you see three different spheres of his life progressing on from here. He's a a warrior leader in this sense, and from chapters 1 to 12, chapters 13 through 22, he becomes more of an administrator once they're actually, they've taken the land and they're allotting the land to who's going to get it. And then he becomes more of of an orator or a communicator in chapters 23 and 24. So if you look at the the life arc and 110 years of Joshua's life, it's very complex. And you see that all of those years of preparation are leading for him now to look at the river that they're about to cross and the promised land that they're about to take. That God had been prepping him the whole time throughout the, all of this journey. And that God gives him a personal call, the call that he would be having to embrace for the difficult task at hand. We'll back up for just a second, and I just want to make an application point to us dads who are in the room or who may be listening. Joshua was following a heroic and famous leader. He was following a heroic and famous leader. Sure, the people, they grumbled against Moses, but they loved and honored Moses too. And now Moses is no longer, and now Joshua is the one who's supposed to be taking the role. He'd never be able to step in the shoes of Moses, but yet he's to take the role of leader. To use a rock climbing analogy, Joshua was clipped into Moses as Moses was clipped into God. And that may sound great, but I just want you to know it's hard to find a good leader, but it's also hard to follow a good leader. And it's also hard to follow a bad leader. And it's hard to to follow a good dad, but it's even harder to follow a bad dad. The reason why it's hard to follow a good dad is because that's a lot to measure up to. And the reason why it's hard to 
to follow a bad dad is because you have no one to measure up to. And over my years, about 20 years of working closely with men, some of which were dads, I can tell you there's just this imposing feeling that dads have, and I think this also permeates to grandpas, we all in some way feel like imposters. We feel like there's no way that we could measure up to the task at hand, which is why encouragement is such an important piece. And I believe if, if we're to look even at this psychologically, which we're not going to delve too deeply into this, but if we were to look at this psychologically, think about the turmoil that could have been there for Joshua stepping into the role that Moses once filled that now he's supposed to step up, of course, 90 years of preparing him. But now he's the one who would be leading the people, and he's also, he was also there when the people didn't listen to Moses. I think this pertains to a lot of dads because most dads feel ill-prepared and ill-equipped. Most dads feel like imposters. I want to map out five different types of imposter syndrome. These aren't new to me, but I will make application for us dads. The first type of imposter that we see within fatherhood is this, that I've seen, is the perfectionist. The perfectionist, they set excessively high goals for themselves, and when they fail to reach that goal, the impossible goal, they experience major self-doubt, and they worry so much about measuring up that they mess up as a dad. The second type of imposter is the superman or the superwoman. Since some men feel like this, they're convinced that they're phonies against other men and other dads who make it look easy. Or they think it, it's easy because it, they make it look easy. So consequently, the, the Superman imposter feels they push themselves to work harder and harder to measure up. But it's just a cover-up for their own insecurities. And that work overload tends to them compensating in one area and neglecting their own mental health, their own physical health, their own spiritual health, because they think that they have to measure up to this impossible mythical figure that they think makes it look easy. And because it's not easy in this dad's life, they think that they're doing something wrong. So they double down on what it is that they're good at. But they neglect so many other things that they should be paying attention to. The next Imposter and the imposter syndrome, not saying that you are an imposter as a dad. I'm just saying these are different ways that I think that Satan imposes his evil on us to trip us up as dads. The next is the natural genius. When things go well, they look like they're excelling. But when things get hard, they withdraw. So they're counting on getting it right the first time, which rarely ever happens. So when they don't get it right the first time, they don't know what to do. So they withdraw from what it is they're supposed to do. The next one is the one that I've seen over and over and over, and it breaks my heart. Is the soloist. The soloist, imposter, they refuse help and input from anyone else. As a matter of fact, they believe that asking someone else or expressing need from someone else 
brings about a sense of phoniness. It's because they feel like frauds for asking for help or guidance. These are all different ways that Satan wounds dads, fathers, and also, I believe, some grandfathers. The last of the five is the expert. The expert in this way is they're measuring their competence based on what or how much they know or how much they can do. It's all about their performance. Their inner belief is that they'll never know enough. But because they fear being exposed or being inexperienced, they rely on their strengths and they deny their weaknesses and they lack vulnerability in the areas they need it the most. I want you to know, dads, the gospel offers something better than all of those. Because the gospel is so rich and God is so loving that he knows about every flaw that you and I have. And he loves us anyway. He doesn't want us to shrink back from our weaknesses. He wants us to admit our weaknesses to him so we don't rely upon our own strengths and our own weaknesses so that we rely upon him to gain his strength. So that our weaknesses and all our, our weaknesses, what we perceive as weaknesses, actually become our strength through the power of God. There's an amazing thing when we, when we as dads decide and understand, okay, I'm not perfect. Being perfect is a myth. Seeing someone as this perfect, uh, perfect figure, father figure, they're not perfect. They're flawed. They're deeply flawed, just like Joshua was flawed, just like Moses was deeply flawed. But the one who had no flaws, that being Jesus, died on the cross for our sins. So we don't have to hide. We don't have to settle for being in the imposter. That we can actually live wholeheartedly as dads, grandpas, mothers, boys and girls, men and women of God. So we don't have to shrink back, but we can lean into him. And the gospel sets us free from that falsehood of, of shame and guilt. It's when we acknowledge our sin and our shame before God and we just say, God, I can't do anything about this. I, Jesus, I know you died to take away my sins. And we ask him to forgive our sins. He's faithful and just and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The gospel is great in that way and so many others. You see, because of what dads particularly and the type of imposters that are there, I map that out not just for you, you men in the room, you dads and grandpas, but also for you wives and grandmothers. A dad needs encouragement. We may not always ask for it because we don't know how to ask for it. Some of us, we haven't grown to the level where we can be vulnerable enough to ask for your help or to ask for your encouragement because it seems too self-serving and those of us who aren't comfortable within ourselves as much or maybe even from a generation in the past, we, we have been corrupted to think that we can't ask for help. Ladies, take the initiative. Encourage dads. We don't always know how to ask for it ourselves. We've been wounded in that way. We're all in a stage of mending. Please help the dads. Encourage them when you see them doing the right thing. Second thing that we see from this passage, if I were to divide it up in this from verses 6 through 11, is this. 
God not only encourages Joshua, but he challenges Joshua. He challenges Joshua. You see, those who are most fit to lead are those who have been following. And a godly father will lead. The world is in such desperate need of men who are willing to lead wisely. Leadership does not mean domination or control. A leader is one who goes first, who sets the pace for the family by practicing what he preaches. Becoming a man of integrity. Where if you see him in in any facet of his life, he's not hiding. He's the same man in every situation that you may meet him. That's the type of man that we're in pursuit of. A godly father will lead. He'll be on the lookout for dangers and take initiative to to protect not only himself, but also his, his wife and his kids and his grandkids from harm. I love the passage of Scripture from Proverbs 17, 6. It says this, Grandchildren are a crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. They're a crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. I said it just a moment ago that Joshua had an example to follow. He had an example to follow. He, he was following somebody who was heroic, and he was, he was a, a great leader. Not perfect, but he was great and heroic. So he did have that going for him. But there's also a reason why Moses was not the one who took him into the promised land. And if if Joshua was going to be the man that God would use to lead this people to take the promised land, he could not fall for the same traps that Moses fell into. Joshua was commanded. And he was to be strong and courageous and devoted to God's law. He was to be strong for for the task at hand. It would have been the working of God's mighty strength through Christ, given through the Holy Spirit, that would have empowered him to be able to do what it is that he was being called to do. And it's the same thing for us fathers today. The Word of God says in Proverbs 20, verse 7, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Be a man of integrity. Bless your children by your example, by your integrity. The word courage, strength and courage, they go hand in hand in this sense. And they are to accomplish what God has already spoken to be. So might I give you an example? Example example from Ephesians 6.4. The Word of God says this, a very firm and direct bit of instruction to fathers particularly. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Dads, this is not a broad meaning. This is not ambiguous. God is not being confusing. God is being very specific. And here is your command as a father. Do not exasperate your children. So many times dads choose to wander around in their own wilderness by their own doing and they choose their own ignorance because their own laziness and complacency. Don't be that man. Don't choose the pathway of ignorance because it's convenient so you can live complacent. 
Instead, lean into passages of Scripture. And if you feel like an imposter, like this is impossible for you to measure up to, then fall on your face before God. Admit that to God. The Spirit of God will then give you the power to meet the task at hand. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Some of your translations say anger. Instead, do what? Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. To deepen this application, we'll use a quote from Tim Elmore. He said this, Kids today are exasperated or angered by abandonment or abundance. They're at war with their maturity. So let's break this down very briefly. How do fathers abandon their kids? You can abandon your kids and still live in the same home. Fathers exasperate or the anger our children with abandonment when, when we emotionally abandon our kids by just saying the women will do it. By not being relationally or emotionally vulnerable or connected with your kids. That is emotional abandonment. Just saying the women will do it. They're more geared for it anyway. Newsflash, so are you. You'll do it differently, but God has made you to have emotions too. Not to hide. A second bit of, of abandonment is spiritual abandonment. Not leading your family in the ways of God, but in saying, you know what? The church will do it. That's spiritual abandonment. Because the church does not take the role of father. Just like the government doesn't take the role of parent, the church doesn't fulfill the role a father. We spiritually abandon and exasperate or anger our kids when we just leave our kids all their spiritual development upon the church, passing them off onto the great volunteers that we have downstairs and the great things that we have for student ministry across the street. You can spiritually abandon your kids by just dumping them off, dumping that responsibility off onto someone else. And there's also relational abandonment. That's when the man who's maybe succumbed to what has happened to him and doesn't have a deepened walk with Jesus and he's, he's comfortable and he's complacent and he's shut off emotionally, he's shut off relationally. So he says, you know what? I'm the provider. I work to provide the money for us to have a home and I provide all that my kids need and the gifts that they need and the experiences they need. And yet we can relationally abandon our kids by saying, I'm the provider. That's my role. Your role is greater than that. For to break this down, even the first part was about abandonment. The second part is about abundance. I'm not going to spend as much time on this. Generations now have such a tendency, and I think there's so many reasons why, but such a tendency is to give our kids more than what they actually need. They need more of you and less of things. They need more of you and less of sports. I'm not anti-sports. I could talk to you for hours about a plethora of sports. I'm not that guy. But I want you to know there, there has to be a level of you as a parent and you as a dad lead your home to say, you know what, the most important about my kids is not going to be if they can set a volleyball, if they can hit a, if they can, uh, you know, hit a baseball, or if they can throw a football, or if they can play a trumpet. 
There's more important things. Those things are good in their own right, but they're not as important as the spiritual upbringing of your kids. And that is your primary responsibility as a parent. When we, when we have our kids, we give the, when we give them everything and we give them everything and we give them everything, they tend to think that when they become adults, the world, they, they're owed everything by the world. But there's a sad reality, isn't there? Because the world, they'll find out very shortly, the world owes you nothing. So we should delay gratification. We should give our kids good things. I'm not, I'm not that guy either. Give your kids good things. But teach them the value of the things that you give them and teach them the value of hard work on the pathway to get them the things that you give them. I'll bring it to a close with this. You've heard me say this before and you're going to hear me say it again. This is the backbone of my, the, the way that I, I view parenting, not just as a, as a father, but parenting as a whole. Raise children who love God with passion and love people on purpose. Dads, raise children who love God with passion and love people on purpose. Because fatherhood is about preparation for adulthood, not protection from adulthood. You want them to be prepared when that time comes. And I'll end with this. Bringing your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is the highest priority of a parent. It's the highest priority. You may say, well, Pastor, how in the world can I do that? Well, I've got some really good news for you. You can't do it alone. That's good news because some of you will try to do it alone. But you can't do it alone. So with my good news is this bit of reality. Of course, this message geared for fathers, but it's applicable to any child of God. Really, any person, but certainly of children of God. You may feel like the task at hand is impossible for you to do, and it is. What's the best thing you could do? Clip into God. Let him hold the rope. As you climb the the wall of difficulty, the wall of fatherhood, as you climb the, the wall of whatever it is that you're in the middle of, you've clipped into God. He's got the rope. He'll sustain you. He'll protect you. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the courage. But we need to be anchored in what's true. We need to be anchored in what's true. I'd love to pray for you. Would you stand?